89.9 The Light. This is a Melbourne's positive radio station. It is so good to have your company. You can text through any question you like for my guest this evening on 0428 899 899 or you can phone through on 1300 777 899. He is the CEO of Open Doors Australia. Mike Gore joins me. G'day, Mike. G'day, Clayton. How you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. Uh, absolutely love the work that uh, you and your team do, uh, not just here in Australia, but of course uh, around the world as well. It's good to have a chat. We're going to talk a whole host of things over this next hour from everything on your take on the Australian church. But let's start a bit around what Open Doors actually is for perhaps somebody who, who doesn't know about Open Doors as yet. Yeah, sure. Open Doors is a, it's a Christian charity. I mean, it started in 1955, by a Dutch man called Brother Andrew. Now, he wrote a book many, many years ago called God Smuggler, and I'm sure many of the Christian uh, listeners to this um, this radio show will probably remember that book. I mean, yep, it's a great book. millions of people yep. have read it. <laughs> that's, yep, that's right. right. Um, you know, you come forward 65 years, Clayton, and um, the ministry's still alive. And Well, Brother Andrew is still alive, um, although not sort of actively involved in the ministry anymore, and we work in about 70 countries around the world with what's called the persecuted church. So wherever kind of Christianity bumps heads with um, governments or religion and, and there's a fallout, well, Open Doors serves the, the Christian communities there. And so, yeah, more than 70 countries now and then here in Australia, mainly involved in fundraising, education and awareness, but probably more specifically um, what I call persecution preparedness. So really trying to educate people on the cost of faith and um, how to authentically follow Jesus. Yeah, um, Mike, I, I've heard you over the, the years uh, share stories and we might get you to share a few stories as we go through this evening and each and every time you share it, it's remarkably powerful and, and the reason is that um, you've gone and experienced it. Uh, we live in a, a culture, if we perhaps haven't travelled overseas much, and obviously none of us are going to be doing that anytime soon, but but there is so many countries who, you know, as much as we understand that, hey, someone could actually be persecuted or thrown in jail or even you know, hurt or killed or threatened uh, for just believing in a, in a faith, it, it, it still feels a bit foreign to us. Is that the sense that you often get when you, you talk to us here in Australia? Yeah, look, to be, to be honest, it's like a scale. There's always sort of outliers, people at either end of it, and then there's a lot of people in the middle. I think over the last five or so years in Australia, or Western nations in particular, the theology of suffering, okay, Clayton, because that's ultimately what... Um, the biggest sort of barrier to Western understanding of persecution is this idea that, hey, well, we measure our proximity to God based off his provision of safety. So you and I, we kind of say, hey, you know what? God is good when things in my life are going well. Well, the persecuted church by name, they're almost like spiritual mentors. They're people who have overcome the, the sort of bonds of society and culture to remain courageously close to Jesus, no matter the cost, because the truth of it is suffering it's not a betrayal of the gospel i think i grew up thinking that suffering is not a betrayal of the gospel it's actually the essence of the gospel and i think over the last five years to be honest that the western church is far more understanding although we do have a long way to go mm. um can we unpack that a bit more and then we we're going to chat a bit about some of the impacts uh, from the coronavirus on those, especially those of Christian faith in some of these these countries who are already uh, finding it tough. Can you just talk just a little bit more about this idea of of suffering and and you know the in that one sense the blessing of it? It seems so foreign. It seems like um, hold on, you know, as much as I know that you know suffering under my faith and 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 for my belief in Jesus is sort of 
I read the Bible. Jesus says that. I, I don't really want it. it. It's not necessarily that you're saying you want it, but it sort of sounds like you're welcoming it with open arms. Is that the idea, Mike? Well, no, I think open arms is a fairly liberal way of saying it, I guess. But look, <laughs> the reality is is that I would say open doors, one of, one of the things that really sets us apart as a ministry uh, is that we're not, we don't seek to end the cause for which we serve. So when I say that, Clayson, what, what I'm saying is we're not trying to stop persecution, okay? Because quite frankly, persecution is a consequence in many ways of successful Christianity. Wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. And more than that, every instance of persecution in the Bible, whether directed at Jesus or his followers, was always and only ever linked to either a public profession of faith or a public outworking of faith. And now more than 2,000 years on, and you know nothing's really changed. If you want to stop persecution, you need only stop sharing Jesus. And, and that's not what we want to do. We're here to help people and give them the strength and the courage to stand in the face of it. I mean, the, the scriptures are very clear. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, to the point on suffering, there is a difference, and for the listeners tonight, there is a difference between suffering and persecution. That's, that's really important to note. Um, but suffering or the notion of suffering and all of the other words that fall under that umbrella, that's the closest parallel we have in Western nations to kind of start the conversation around persecution. But for us, we would say that wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. And our goal as a ministry is to help equip resource, strengthen, encourage, and really help the church to remain courageously committed to sharing Jesus wherever they find themselves. Yeah. Um, look, this is a, a, a question, I suppose, that has been asked for, for many, many years uh, and maybe doesn't have the perfect answer. But, Mike, with the work that you, you are doing, why do you think the reason is that as the, the gospel of Jesus is shared, that persecution follows? Why do you think that's actually the case? It really, it really is a broad question. It varies so many countries to countries. Now, for instance, yeah, a really quick look at China. China is basically under Xi Jinping. It's not, it's a Christianity is viewed as a Western religion. Okay, and that's one of the big challenges. I mean, we're seeing in media left, right and center these days, America, China, all these kind of things. And for the, the government there, they would perceive in many cases, Christianity as an infiltration of Western religion into their Eastern religion. And so that's one example of it that's not just, I guess, only and always based around the name of Jesus. But then you come to countries in the Middle East where the, um, Islam is a predominant religion. And again, that is highly confronting because Jesus within the Quran is a, a prophet, but Christianity speaks that he's the one true God who rose from the dead. And so depending on what country and what context you're in, and even what the majority religion is, how Jesus is terrifying to them it vastly differs, and so it's really hard to kind of answer that with any one kind of um, statement. Yeah, Mike, one of the things that I, you know, I've heard you talk about a, a lot, and you know, somebody who's heading up an organisation like yours, um, you, you know, there, there might be this sort of a opinion and thought, oh, well, they're going to be sort of right out there, and and you know, anyone who's a Christian is absolutely right, and we're going to hate everybody else, or we're going to be, you know putting down everyone else, everyone else is just the enemy. But one of the things I've always loved about you is that the, the, the discussions you're having, the, the love for the people in these countries where those people who are Christians are being persecuted is, is just as real as sort of the, the love for the neighbour next door. That obviously comes from your faith and your walk as well. Yeah, it also I, I think is one of the core kind of 
tenets of the church, if you could say that, Clayton. I mean, the indisputable heavyweight of the world, right? whether it's Christian history or world history, when it comes to um, administering hope, aid, justice, safety, relief, it's the institution of the local church. I mean, yeah, Christian and world history will tell you that. But don't, I mean, it's not without controversy. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, the church is shrouded in controversy. But history, no matter much what you read on it, will say the net impact on communities the world over when a church is present is overwhelmingly positive. And I think that's the beauty of the Gospels, is that in the craziest, probably most um, jarring way, Jesus died for his love for you, me, and ISIS. It doesn't mean I'm saying we worship the same God. What I'm saying is that no one is beyond salvation. I think that's something we forget too often as Christians, is that we like to put a hierarchy in faith. No, no, no. That's the beauty of the church, is that you reach out to everyone with the love of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be back with Mike Gore. He is the CEO of Open Doors Australia in a couple of minutes' time. We're going to talk to him specifically uh, around some of the impacts of the coronavirus on some of those uh, Christian populations in these countries that are being persecuted already. And a bit later, Mike is going to share his take, his thoughts on uh, what he reckons, having travelled all around the world as he looks back at the Australian church, uh, are we going to come out of this pandemic with uh, a, a more strengthened faith or is it going to perhaps be weakened? And what are some of those signs that we need to be wary of? Uh, that's on the way next here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. On 89.9 The Light, this is Positive Radio. You can text her any question you have for Mike Gore, our guest this evening. He's the CEO of Open Doors Australia. They're serving the persecuted Christian church worldwide, and we're talking a bit about that already, and we're going to continue to as we go throughout this hour. 0428 899 899. Uh, Mike, uh, you've travelled very far and wide around this world when we were able to, um, and certainly visited many parts of the world who uh, are struggling under some, some sort of oppression because of their Christian faith. In terms of the coronavirus, um, you know, already so many of these groups were already struggling. Have you heard back and had feedback? Has this um, hurt even more uh, having the coronavirus spread around the world? Yeah, look, it has. And, and again, I think to quantify all of the statements tonight is that when, when I sort of talk about instances, Clayton, it's not indicative, I guess, of whole countries or whole governments. Yeah. These are isolated instances and, and examples of things that are happening. And so for covid yeah, we have seen an increase um, in the use of COVID-19 as a um, tool for persecution. Now, to give our listeners some kind of insight to that, in um, places like the Middle East and Iran, Christians are being forced to um, staff hotel, oh, hospitals, sorry. So the, the doctors and nurses are being put onto the front line, but they're being put on there with no PPE because the government mm. will be telling them, well, look, you're, you believe you've got heels, right? Well, you should be safe. And so what looks, I guess, as an opportunity for Christian service can really become uh, um, worrying and troubling for Christians who are given no form of protection uh, in other countries across sort of Southeast Asia and into the subcontinent. We're seeing people that refuse access to medical treatment unless they reconvert to the majority religion within that country. Now, again, that's a really difficult um, place to find yourself would be the same as I guess saying you know for everyone in Melbourne if, if you're sick with COVID we're not going to send you an ambulance unless you stop being a Christian and I think if you can just begin to imagine the stress and the weight of that decision in some of these more impoverished places it becomes really difficult so yeah COVID-19 is uh, being used as a tool to kind of 
tighten the screws on Christians in these nations. It's one of those ones that, you know, this is how we see persecution occurring, isn't it? Anything that's there tends to get used as, as you go forward. Um, uh, in terms of uh, people in those situations, uh, what's the response been? Uh, what are the responses that you've been hearing from, from those who are, you know, faced to, to go and be the ones who are the waiters in the hotels and those sorts of things? Yeah, and look, and to, to be honest, it's um, it goes both ways. You have people who will um, choose to pursue the medical treatment over the faith choice, and, and again, um, for so many people, can you begin to imagine how difficult it is? Others, they don't have a choice. So in Iran, in the hospitals where they're being forced to look after people who are COVID positive, they're not as though they have a choice whether or not they work there. They're forced to work there. Mm. And so for those people... Um, it's a really difficult time. I mean, these are men, um, women, people have families and children. And so it really is difficult. And we have some people who are um, living up to it. I mean, prisoners in some countries, uh, Christian prisoners are being held in jail where other minimum security prisons are being released. But they're saying, look, for Christians, you're expendable. If you get COVID and die, that, that's okay. You're a drain on our, our country anyway. And so it really is a difficult time for Christians the world over, and COVID is, is just another tool in the coat of bag of tricks for people who are persecuting them. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of, I suppose, the, the, the steps forward and, I suppose, the, the concept of what, what it is occurring right now, you know, as a rule, you hear open doors in Australia, and I know open doors in other parts of the world, are, are helping however they can um, those in these persecuted areas who are suffering because of their Christian faith. Um, and you do that sort of norm, normally throughout the year. Uh, one of the other things I'd imagine that's occurring because of COVID is that there's not the, the physical help that can perhaps be given now and those sorts of things. Are you noticing the impact because of that as well? Absolutely. That's a really good point. And I think, um, again, we fail to understand sometimes. I mean, I, even myself in this role, really didn't think through... You know, we, we think about in Western cultures, and I know for, for the situation you guys find yourself now in Victoria, the impact on economy, um, jobs here, and all that sort of stuff. But I probably didn't give it enough thought to think, well, how does it actually affect the charity overall in, in our working services or delivering um, aid and help when, when you can't do it physically? You know, so that's where the ministries have to really go through that season of innovation and trying to say, look, how can we still be present or how can we help in the face of persecution, when we may not actually be able to travel there. Similarly, um, we may not be able to mobilise people on the ground there to, to get close to people. And and I think like most other charities and organisations, yeah, we've found it much more difficult to outwork the things that, you know, last year we took for granted and did normally. And, and that's what we're in the season at the moment is trying to figure out how can we still be effective mm. when we can't always be there. Yeah, and I suppose as you do that, you know, you can then share it with those who are supporters here in Australia as well. One thing that, um, you know, those who have that Christian faith, obviously we believe prayer is powerful, and I'm, I'm sure that's one thing you're certainly encouraging everybody. Uh, well, while we're working out some of the practical and the physical things, that that is something that can always be a part of it, right? Yeah, I mean, Brother Andrew, the guy who started the ministry, was always renowned for saying, if we truly knew the power of prayer, would be on our knees a hundred times a day asking for things that will turn the world upside down. And, and for us who share that Christian faith, you know, prayer is a brilliant place to start. Often, even Western cultures and Christians, we can go, oh, well, that's just an easy route out. No, no. Tell me, what, prayer, praying for someone is a heck of a lot harder than giving money. Because to give money, it's sort of transactional and you can just do that and support a charity. To pray, 
you need to capture someone's heart and be moved by it to give up the time to do it. And so prayer is never a get out. Prayer is, in fact, the harder, much harder to do than, than giving money. But prayer works and is incredibly important. Zero four two eight eight double nine eight double nine. If you've got a question for Mike Gore, he is the CEO of Open Doors Australia. We're going to be back with Mike uh, because I want to ask him uh, the questions next around what he sees for the Australian church. Um, Mike has got just a remarkable way of of reflecting and bringing back different places of this world and and letting us see things in different ways. So what will COVID and, and, and all of this mean for the Australian church and Australian Christianity? Will we step forward in it? Will we go back? What do we need to be doing to ensure that we will be stepping forward and, and going forward well? That's on the way next here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. 89.9 The Light. This is Positive Radio. It is wonderful to have your company, the CEO of Open Doors Australia, is Mike Gore. He joins us this evening. It's wonderful to have him with us. And uh, Mike, we're talking about the Persecuted Church. This is uh, the organisation you head up, helping those who are uh, persecuted around the world, serving those in that context. And one of the things that you have done for many years is uh, go and travel to these various places and so often bring back an, an understanding of what true faith living is really all about. Um, as you sort of sit and, and take this moment uh, and look at the Australian church, um, what do you see? Do you, do you see the, the, the COVID sort of 19 pandemic uh, causing the church to get stronger? Do you, do you see it causing to get weaker? What do you see are the opportunities, the strengths and all those sorts of things? <laughs> what a great question. I, um, look, Clayton, and I look at the, the Australian church, I think we're at a really, really important crossroads. To be honest, I think looking back at this season, you'll probably see um, three three major things, right? You'll see a broadening of the gospel. And when I say that, I mean that as we've been sort of forced into homes and people are now uh, ingesting, I guess, a far broader array of Christianity. They're, they're seeing their feeds filled with different denominational things. And so what, what I think we'll see is, is a reduction in that kind of patriotism around denominations. So we'll see a broadening of the gospel. Number two, I think as history looks back, we're going to see a distinct drop in the number of church-attending Christians. Okay, now that's partly because the moment you get out of the routine of going to church, it's very hard to get back into it. In fact, I think give it give it five or ten years, you'll probably hear stories like this. Oh, you know, back back when that virus was on, we, we you know we used to go to church a lot, but when that when that thing happened, we just kind of stopped, and then, well, we never really got back into it. And so I think we'll see a drop in the number of church attending Christians. And then thirdly, and probably more worrying, I think we'll see what I call the death of pastoral ministry as we know it. Now, in China, when, when at the height of the 50s and 60s, I mean, but in that time, the church in China would often meet in a central format, kind of like what we've been used to in Australia. But then when persecution came, it forced the church into homes. And I believe what they said to us, look at the height of the 50s and the 60s, we used to practice our faith in the church and almost nowhere else. They said, when persecution came and forced us into the homes, we practice our faith in our homes and therefore everywhere else. Now, for the last kind of two decades, I've been sitting in churches where pastors have often said, hey, look, we've got to be Monday Christians too. You know, you can't just come to church on a Sunday. You need to take the gospel back home into your homes and talk to the people in your workplaces, all those wonderful things. And, and it's almost as okay. And overnight, we had those prayers answered. Yeah. The church was forced into neighborhood, city, suburbs, and communities that never previously had one because now every house became a church. But the wrestle is the moment it happened, 
a lot of churches started saying, no, come back. And so all of a sudden, the battleground became content over connection. And I think that's one of the things we learned from China is that if you pursue content over connection, it's going to be a very, very difficult road back to bringing your church back together. And so I think at the moment, um, church pastors would be wise to look at themselves as becoming, I guess, multi campus churches overnight so if you have 25 bible study groups in your church you become a 25 campus church and 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 asking themselves how would we lead it if we had 25 different campuses because i think they're the three things clayton i think we'll see a broadening of the gospel a drop in the number of church attending christians and unfortunately if we're not careful uh, the death of pastoral ministries we know because we're pursuing um content over connection Mm. Each of those seem to have that sort of double-edged sword moment to them as well. Um, mm. You know, there's this ability of, you know, okay, so broadening the understanding, as you said, not quite sort of, you know, so focused is, well, that's great. There's going to be some incredible learning and understanding and experiencing more of what living this true Christian life can be, but it can also have that potential of watering it down. Um, others have this, you know, as you said, you know, content over connection, these sorts of things. How do we know and, and I suppose work as a community, especially I, I suppose I'm thinking here in Victoria right now where we're, we're literally locked into our homes. Um, you know, there's a curfew on it. There hasn't been a curfew, I think, for 100 plus years here in the state. Um, how do we sort of mobilise enough to actually work together to to ensure that we're 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 on the the positive side of each of those three? Yeah, it's a, it's a great it's a really great question. I think that um, what what I've found, particularly in isolation and lockdown, I mean, persecution in general. If we talk about that for a moment, it serves as an intense focusing tool. It kind of strips away everything else that's a distraction in society and culture, and forces you to focus on that one-on-one relationship with Jesus and what was found, um, even as Sydney side as where I'm based and now you guys on lockdown again, what was found was that when all of that kind of things in our lives that we take for granted, the control piece, like going to the shops or, you know, all of those kind of things are taken away from us, it really does for many spiritual people and Christians kind of rock their sense of spiritual safety. And I think in isolation, we need to understand that loneliness in particular increases dramatically. And so one of the key ways of the underground church and, and churches right across um, places like Morocco where they can only meet in trees. One of the ways they foster that sense of connection, even in isolation, is through, uh, in, our, in our setting, would be through digital connection. So text messaging, calling, emailing, you know, just dropping um, notes of encouragement to one another. It's almost like passing notes through a prison for Christians. You know, that's all they've got to do is figure out if someone is on your heart, or you even think about a name, or maybe, just maybe, send them a message. Hey, how are you doing today? Can I pray for you? You know, those kind of things. And I think that's the key, is to not stop talking. I think we can live in our own lockdown and our own isolation and think, I can't even speak to anyone. No, 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 you can't visit people, but you can still connect with them, and that's the key. It's so interesting, isn't it, that it takes so little effort in one way and so much effort in another. And so often the, the key things in life are just that. It's just about understanding our direction. And, and I think about the key things in faith too, um, is that it, it just takes that focus and that, that choice to say, put aside something of self or I, I won't 
watch that thing or I won't do this or I won't just be focused on myself. I'll, I'll text, I'll connect, I'll, I'll do these things. Um, so often the, those small things then lead into bigger and bigger and bigger things that I think can start actually changing the world and, and changing the, the aspects of, of what's occurring around us. Mike, I'm guessing you've seen that so often, um, that sort of principle at work actually playing out in the, the persecuted church around the mm. world too. Yeah, look, I remember being in Iraq and uh, it was at the height of uh, the war with ISIS. I mean, it was an absolute war zone. People arriving in their thousands on foot, men, women, children, just literally holding the possessions that they could grab before ISIS had sort of come through and forced them to leave. And, you know, it was a really volatile, intense time in that nation. But I remember meeting with a person in one of those camps. I mean, he was a multimillionaire before he was displaced. He owned two veterinary clinics. Uh, it was by all measurements, you know, rich. And as I, as I spoke to him, he talked about life in this camp where he was now sleeping outside on the dirt. And he told me how at the night he would have to hold his young children as high in the air as he could to stop the rats getting them. Right? And then during the day, he would want to sleep, but they would want to play. And he said this was just day in, day out, 24-7 life for him. And he said to me, but Mike, I've actually never felt closer to Jesus than here. And I remember a pause thinking to myself, how does that work? And he says, man, I thank God for ISIS. Because he says, I realized looking back on my life, I was just a Sunday Christian. He said, ISIS came through and it forced me to realize that when all I have left is Jesus, well, Jesus is all I need. And he said, the wrestle for you in the West is that you're more in love with life than you are Jesus. And it makes you unwilling to die for him. And I mean, remember, Clayton, this is a statement that said when Christians are literally being killed for their faith around us. Yeah. And, and so for him to tell me, I'm more in love with life than I am Jesus, and it makes me unwilling to die for him. It's coming from a guy who's already reconciled that this faith choice may cost him his life. And and I remember thinking on that that statement that evening, and I realized, you know, which is the greater danger to my faith, ISIS or an iPhone? But because the truth of it is, I've seen one of them across the last 10 years in the Middle East that drive people to God. You know, countless Muslims become have become disenfranchised um, with a radical form of Islam. And so they've the question for most Muslims who are seeking God, when they become disenfranchised with Islam, they're not saying, is there a God? They're asking, well, which God? Right? And so it makes them perfectly seeking Jesus. And then you see um, people in the West where the iPhone, it kind of draws them away from him. It's a subtlety of distraction that seems to suffocate our faith, whereas the pressure of persecution for this brother has stripped away everything and only left him with Jesus, yet he felt more alive than ever. And so it's it's those kind of lessons that really just come to life in this season of COVID for us, this season of isolation and loss and coming to terms with, well, when everything's stripped away, where do I find my identity? And how, how can I, you know, how do I get through this season? And so the persecuted church are just brilliant spiritual mentors in that sense. Incredible stuff, uh, and remarkably challenging as well for anyone who uh, does uh, say, hey, yes, I follow Jesus. How much are we really following him in that sense? We're going to be back uh, with Mike Gore in just a couple of minutes' time. We've got a couple of final minutes with Mike, so any questions you have, 0428-899-899. On the way next here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. On 89.9, The Light, this is Positive Radio. It is in community conversation with Clayton. one 777 to get your final chance at getting a question in with Mike Gore, who is the CEO of Open Doors Australia, serving the uh, persecuted church around the world. We've been chatting with Mike 
uh, throughout the evening. And Mike, once again, thank you for your time. We, we do have a question from Brian in Narry Warren. He joins us now. Brian, you're on with Mike. Thank you, Clayton. Uh, hello, Mike. It's been rather inspiring listening to you. Thank you. Um, Mike, with your organisation, um, in, in the places, in the countries in particular where there is actual persecution, uh, are you, I suppose I'm interested to know how you actually operate. Is it, is, it a, is it a covert type operation, a bit like Brother Andrew used to be, or is it a more open type thing? Yeah, Brian. Um, yeah, yeah, how, yeah, how, how do you go question. about doing it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Brian. Um, look, it really depends on what country. Now, um, we, we release each year something called, it sounds like you know a little bit about Brother Andrew, but we release something called the World Watch List, which is an index ranking of the 50 most difficult countries to be Christian. Number one of that list is North Korea and the US, Syria and Iraq and all sorts of others. Now, in every one of those countries, it looks different. One of the things I do love about Brother Andrew's heart, which still um, is part of the ministry, is it is largely covert, to tell you the truth. In fact, we wouldn't be known as that organisation in most of those countries that we work, 70 countries now. Um, and depending on the level of persecution, probably dictates or determines just how underground, inverted commas, the work is. So what we do is we work through the Indigenous people. We, we I mean, I really hate that idea of being just Western white saviours trying to come into a country. Brother Andrew always wanted to work through the local people, the local church, and really help resource their needs. So, yeah, Brian, it really is a kind of undercover style work. Okay, good. Thank you, Mike. That's that's great. Good okay. on you. No worries at all. Thank, thank you. Good on you. Yeah, it sure okay. does. And you can check out, uh, Brian, thank you so much. You can check out the, the website for Open Doors as well and that uh, watch list as well, the top 50 there at uh, opendoors.org.au. That's opendoors.org. .au. Thank you again, Brian, uh, for your question. Mike, we've got a couple of minutes left, so I was wondering, uh, just as we do sort of summarise our conversation this evening, we've talked everything about how you know COVID has uh, been used as a tool to persecute um, Christians even more so in some parts of the world. We've talked about how uh, this is a moment for those who maybe uh, profess a Christian faith here in Australia to to be aware of, of some of the pitfalls that could come because of this, but also some of the opportunities that could come. And mm. we've looked at some of the stories. You, you've shared some of those stories of, of those who really are, are truly living their faith afresh because of persecution. Is there maybe a, another story you can share with us just to sort of inspire us and encourage again as we go forward? Yeah, look, I think um, before we get to that story, one of the things I really want to encourage our listeners tonight is that this is an incredible opportunity for the church in Australia to really stand up because what I call the great divergence, right, Clayton? I mean, at the moment, there's this whole group of people who may not be in relationship with Jesus, but in the face of COVID and the uncertainty that it's bringing, the uncertainty around mortality, around jobs, around security and finances, income, all of those kind of things, there's one side of, of this kind of unbelieving world that's crying out, looking for the existence of a God, saying, God, where are you? Right in the face of all of this change, I'm scared and I'm nervous. But then you sort of come to the church side of it and you find Christians lamenting COVID and going exactly the same thing. God, where are you? And so if we're not careful, the great divergence begins. Mm. You know, where you've got one side saying, hey, I really want to hear about the, the faith and the security you find in God. And then you've got some established Christians saying, but, well, where is God? And so I think that's a really hopefully key lesson for any of our Christian listeners tonight. Hey, look, I understand that it is a, a worrying and troubling time, 
but God is no less God. Okay, it's something I've learned through the persecuted church in all of my time. I mean, I remember a girl, 13, from Uganda. I mean, beautiful, round Ugandan face. Whenever she smiles, a whole room lights up. Anyway, she was from a staunchly Islamic family. One day she went to school. She heard a visiting um, sort of preacher come. He spoke about Jesus, who was the son of God. And, and there and then she sort of responded to an older call and gave her life to Christ. Clayton, she went home and she told her father, who was a high-ranking police officer, that she had um, given her life to Jesus. He grabbed her and a younger brother. He dragged them outside, called the neighbors, held a knife to her throat. And he says, Susan, if you keep following Jesus, I'm going to kill you and your brother. She, he dragged her back inside, took her to a room in the house. He placed a mat made of banana leaves on the floor. He said, Susan, you sit on that mat and do not move until you're willing to deny Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Susan's father locked the door and left. Clayton, he didn't return to that room for three months. Mm. Three months. In fact, the only way she survived was that when her father was out, her younger brother would dig a hole under the door into the dirt floor and he'd pour water into it for it to lap up like a cat. On some occasion when he had time, he would fry up some banana and slide that under for her to eat. After three months, the neighbor said to the brother, well, where's your sister? He told them. They called the police. The police came. They opened the door and there she was, sitting on the mat. Still cross-legged. In fact, the bones in her legs had grown and conformed to the way she'd been sitting. Her hair had turned yellow because of a lack of sunlight from nutrients, and she weighed 20 kilos. They picked her up and rushed her to hospital, 14 years old. That's where Open Doors bumped into her. I'm sure for all of our listeners, you can imagine one of the first questions we asked her. Susan, why, why didn't you try and escape? This 14-year-old girl, without missing a beat, said, because my father said if I was to leave that mat, I'd be denying Jesus, and I could never do that. And then we asked her a follow-up question. Well, Susan, well, what can we pray for? And and she said, I want you to pray that my dad would become a Christian. Wow. Clayton, man, I hope this is an encouragement. And Brian, if you're still listening to you as well, that Jesus Christ is a medicine of the world. Mm. Like, he must be shared. And more than that, this season of COVID, it's not a absence of God. It's a drawing near of him. It's a hand on the back from the Lord, pushing the church into neighborhoods, cities, suburbs, and communities like never before. This is a chance to share the love of Jesus with people right around you who in this moment, desperately worried about life, about safety, about purpose, about future, about identity. And this is our chance to look to and learn from the persecuted church. And so a huge thank you for having me along. And I hope some of our listeners might be able to support the work. There's a lot of Christians the world over at the moment who desperately need your help, your prayer, um, your financial support where you can, uh, because they share our faith, but they definitely don't share our freedom. Mike, it's a privilege as always. Thank you again for joining us this evening. Thanks so much, Clayton. Mike Gore, he is the CEO of Open Doors Australia and that website, opendoors.org.au, to find out more and to be able to donate as well to the cause, opendoors.org.au.